I'm ready. Hey, welcome back, friends. We're still alive. We hope you are too. Um, welcome back to Oscar Bait. Today we're gonna do another little uh, break from Franco, just because we got some uh, in-person things coming up ahead of that. Um, as always, thank you if you give us your money on Patreon. Yeah, we'll, 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 do that's cool. we'll spend time in jail because of all the Franco movies. I can't tell you what he did, but <laughs> you've seen those movies. You know, sometimes movies... Shockingly, I've never even been arrested. I've been very close, but somehow I have avoided even the drunk tank, which is... I know. Everyone's surprised when I tell them that. How have I been arrested twice and you have not? Well, you, you're you like, you're tough, though, you know? I'm an idiot. But... Well, yeah, but I'm just an idiot. I am not also tough. So that's the thing. That's what, that's what has kept me out of those situations, because I'm not very tough. You could also say, instead of just calling me tough, you could say that you are smart and you don't egg you know, police officers on when they probably could have just let you walk away. Well, I wasn't, I'm not going to call you out unless you want to. I know what, I know how those stories go. Uh (laughs) Well, so you all know our history with the piggies. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we just did a new Patreon episode digging through more of the one million versions of Franco movies. Check that out. Also, we have coming up our next screening on the 27th of this month at the music box seven o'clock um we will be talking about today so we'll save that but hopefully we see you there for one incredibly rare 35 millimeter print and one incredibly pristine 35 millimeter print it's gonna be a great night and then after that wait it's the film event of the year you forgot it to is mention. it is officially yeah. it's officially yeah, you thought going to oh, I've already Bop, Boppenheimer, Bop, Oppenheimer, not Boppenheimer, but it, you know. After after the film event of the year, um, we'll be back with a screening that some of you might think doesn't necessarily fit with what we normally do. We are here to convince you otherwise, and hopefully, convince you to give something a chance that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. We are going to be in October, on October uh, 10th, 7th? 7th. On October 7th, we will be putting on a screening at 11.30 p.m. with the Music Box of Horrors crew of Unfriended Dark Web with the director, Steven Susko, there in person. He's awesome. He's very excited that people actually like his movie who are into movies so we're excited to talk to him about that and again hopefully remind you all that it's actually a horrifyingly bleak <laughs> tragic great horror movie <laughs> yeah it's definitely an outlier of the like kind of like post like that post slasher thing going on before we like we're looking back on it with nostalgic and very weak eyes so i think like it's cool because like the first unfriended is definitely just trying to feed off that like uh yeah it's not good it's trying to feed off that like paranormal activity shit yeah whereas uh 
this has nothing uh there's nothing supernatural at play in this movie this is the this is the horror of the real world coming in and uh it's a reminder that you don't have to pretend there are ghosts you just look around at the human beings in the world and that is usually worse than the ghosts <laughs> so we're gonna celebrate that movie and then uh Another announcement for October will be coming soon. That will be on October 10th. So we're going to pack it in. Um, that yeah, one. Three days after. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do. We've told you already a little. Um, but we're going to be partnering up with some of our friends. who will be talked about more um, to start. Hopefully something really great. And we'll be announcing that soon. As soon as we decide and then yeah. <laughs> we should probably uh, more last minute than we mean um you probably announce that i think we should yeah yeah um well anyway we'll, we'll figure it out but uh all right so yeah we got that on the 10th and then after that in november i don't remember the date 25th maybe uh sounds good to me it might be, <laughs> that, it might be the 27th, actually oh yeah after thanksgiving a couple days after um, yeah. We are going to be, for highs and lows, we'll be doing Practical Magic and Jess Franco's V Imperios Lesbos with our good friend Ramona Slick of Rated Q. And Ramona's going to be performing ahead of the Franco film. Um, so it's going to be a great, weird night. And yeah. be weird. December, December we, won't, we won't say quite yet. We're going to save it, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. We're really making sure... That if you if if you're one of those people who uh, you know is really lucky and has an ideal perfect Midwestern family where the holidays are actually a, a barrel of laughs, everything's nice. But after that holiday, if you are like, man, everything's too saccharine, I need something unholy. We are going to deliver you a delightfully unholy highs and lows in December. Um, yeah, it's going to be strange and. Gonna be great, but I think it's gonna be shockingly touching with both films for people. Yeah, I think I think it will. And then things are gonna really ramp up for us. I think. I think. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of you didn't get a chance to ever come to highs and lows. Maybe you'll get a chance. Yep. One day. What do we mean by that? Well, we can't talk about it just yet. But. Yep. Just ask your mom. She knows. <laughs> yeah, we told her last night. <laughs> We're having sex with your moms. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, on that note, today we're going to get into, um, we're bringing it back because we didn't get to last time because we always forget to do these in, in fucking time. Um, so we didn't get to for Wildwood and Project X, which is funny because that's also the first time ever people who aren't just like already fully acquaintances of us two different people at that screening came up to me and were like, I'm really excited to listen to your episode on this. Cause I really want to hear you guys get into the connections of these movies. Uh, so, you know, we learned our lesson. Um, we barely remembered to do this one, to be honest, yeah. but we're, we're getting better. We're writing shit down. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, Ringo Lam's prison on fire and uh, John McTiernan's rollerball. Um yeah. yeah, so we'll go in we'll go in order of screening. First up, if you come out to the show, which all of you are, we know that. 
because yeah. they're what is it oh wow yeah shit 10 tickets left right now oh my so, god wait hold on up uh, nine because <laughs> believe it or not this is actually a live show today if you're listening to it on spotify or itunes you just missed our youtube live stream where we finally did it with video so fucking sucks to be you because by now the tickets are all probably gone not really still check just in case there might be <laughs> this really will be this is like this this is gonna be amazing. i've been badgering will about since yeah. the inception so yeah. um this has been on the books since the beginning and uh we well, right- i forget what your original pitch was with because rollerball came first and you i wish i could remember i tried to go back in our text but we text each other too much um your watkins thing yeah the punishment park or that you talked about that one once we started like brainstorming but there was something else first but i mean it doesn't matter but i remember because we talked about it for a long time one day and then you were like fuck it shouldn't be that hard. It's got to be obvious. We're missing it. And then later that night, I get a text from you. And you were like, what the fuck? Because we had just been talking about Ringo Lum. And you're like, dude, it's fucking prison on fire. <laughs> I really don't know why it took that long. But uh, sometimes, Matt, that's that's how magic goes. That's right. Sometimes you got to let something simmer a little longer than you want, even if you're hungry. Yeah, we're learning that. <laughs> yeah, we're learning patience. And mm-hmm. not just to microwave everything metaphorically speaking i still will always only ever use microwave when i can but as far as art creation we're not using a microwave anymore because we love you guys yeah we also have a lot going on so we're the fact that we're forgetting things is good for you all it means we have a lot on our plates right now so that's true that's true so yes today we're going, yeah, we're going to go through these two movies that you might be wondering what the connection is, and we're going to tell you. <laughs> but uh, just to start, to preface, I think like a pretty overriding connection here um, on a more general basis is uh, the fact that these two filmmakers, Ringo Lamb, John McTiernan, roughly kind of got started around the same time in their careers, but... They're also modern pioneers of the action film, the modern action film. And I, I do think action films in America, the ones we all love, would be deeply different without the contributions of these filmmakers. I mean, yes, Hong Kong at large for what would become, you know, especially 90s and aughts, but what would become the American action film. Some, a lot of it literally choreographed by, but pretty much all of it comes from Hong Kong action films uh, ahead of them. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's, important. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty important. And obviously there were people who were kind of hitting at that in this uh, world before. I think our biggest one that never gets talked about enough is Peter Himes. Mm-hmm. I think. He was really doing things um, a certain way before other people were in America. But yeah, the Hong Kong action movie really, really had a lot of time for people to pick at its bones and sort of pass off its 
aesthetic qualities as their own. And I think you'd probably be shocked at the amount of film. I mean, we don't know this, we're just theorizing, but there are a lot of filmmakers that I'm sure saw these movies and worked those techniques into their movies, knowing damn well that these movies, I mean, no one could have predicted the internet and the way things were going to go. So I think a lot of people just thought no one's probably going to see these movies. Yep. Cause once, um, basically once what they used to call chop sake theaters, um, disappeared, which was kind of often the way things would go is like an old theater would shut down and then it would be a chop sake theater for a while, which the music box in Chicago was. And then if that didn't work, then it would be a porn theater, you know? Um, so there, there was a time in the nineties still and into the aughts in some places where some of these theaters still survived. And that's basically the only place you could see them, you know, with subtitles and shit and all of that. Cause a lot of those prints, when they came here, they stayed here, whether it was collectors or just rotting somewhere. Um, so there was, that's probably how a lot of these filmmakers were able to see them. But until recently on home video, there hasn't been a, a huge boom until now in people actually wanting to see Hong Kong stuff. So and now and- we see the fucking cards, American action directors. Now we can pause it and check. Yeah. And call out Tony Scott now for definitely having seen certain uh, certain filmmakers like Choi Hawk or, <laughs> or Ringo Lamb. But, you know, and even people like Sam Raimi. I mean, Sam Raimi's really, I mean, that guy for sure saw a Chinese ghost story and used that. And I think he actually talked about that. So, yes, he talks about it because he was excited. And I loved, too, that. We won't get into it today fully because we're going to do a Ringo Lam thing at some point proper. Not going to do it today, but just to tie to that real quick, I love also that then Ringo Lam clearly also saw the Evil Dead and it the snake already started to eat itself because Ringo Lam's first movie, A Spirit to More, uh, has very much quite a bit of Evil Dead in it too. Um, and it's only a couple of years after. So it's, it's just fun how fast that went back and forth. <laughs> I mean, most famous probably of all the people to quote unquote rip off or borrow or pay homage has to be Mr. Quentin Tarantino, uh, especially with Ringo Lamb. I mean, this was uh, so when Ringo Lamb made his film City on Fire, which was kind of the big the big push for him as a as a filmmaker and we'll get into that reason why in a second but when that came out tarantino i uh, saw it and might have I, I mean i'm sure he gave some homage to it in reservoir dogs but it was kind of shocking how in that time it was so like he was just charged as like outright just stealing from that movie where you watch the movies back and forth, they are, they couldn't be more opposite. Like, no, no he, he clearly, like, you know, Tar- Tarantino's an obsessive movie rewatcher and he clearly, you know, put back on City on Fire, you know, from a bootleg DVD or whatever the fuck at VHS, sorry, at that point, uh, you know, and was like, oh my God, I forgot what a, that's a great idea. And it's a jumping off point, you know? jumping off point it's silly to it's silly to say it's a you know like a straight up ripoff yeah whoever did that dumb documentary that's like "Mm, look at the look at the similarities what's that thing called i don't know 
there was like this stupid documentary that some like film programmers put together of like uh you probably know them of like <laughs> oh god i can't remember but it's it's just like comparing scenes between the two and it's the biggest stretch ever it's one of the most embarrassing thing who did it honestly but um (laughs) inside joke but um they like you know it took on this myth that he'd ripped off this movie and it uh it could have been because i mean you look around if you're a hong kong film fan now i mean we're living in a golden era uh compared to everything else that's going to shit we're getting a lot of like who would have thought urban yao's taxi hunter would be out on a beautiful blu-ray with special features yep not me that's the world we're living in right now and it's if you got the money for it or you know how to steal it is a time to be living you know it's uh it's cool to see these movies remastered and getting the love that they deserve but in the 90s uh they didn't and that was probably people were mad at tarantino at the time for that because that was around the time that miramax and harvey weinstein were buying up all those hong kong movies to release which they never did and they just on when they did they changed them they changed them yeah it's yeah i mean they really were getting i mean they were being completely taken advantage of in the 90s like these filmmakers not to say that they didn't have their own problems brewing back home as well so um so it's just interesting kind of like how ringo lamb has shot up in the kind of cinematic culture because like he definitely always takes a backseat as most of the filmmakers of the action hong kong genre do to Mr. John Woo, who no one's got any a bad thing to say about John Woo. I like we all like well, I got a couple, but I got, a, I got I got a bad thing or two to say, but it is only within the context of him being so incredible. <laughs> I wouldn't even say he's overrated. He's just a filmmaker who sucks up way too much of the the airtime about Hong Kong filmmaking, yeah. uh of the action variety and as we're going to get into like you know ringo on the one hand kind of comes out of the gate almost fully formed as a filmmaker oh, i'd say absolutely fully formed he comes yeah his crazy a lot of these filmmakers in hong kong at the time had to make these rom-coms these like lunar new year movies that were a big deal they were the big box office draw for hong kong at the time so everyone kind of cuts their teeth there at a uh cinema city that's the name right yeah so while he's there yeah he does these movies that are like will said there's some stuff borrowed from evil dead i mean uh yeah, there's the first one and then the second the second one oh well we're gonna i'm gonna get too excited if we start talking about him but he's just you know he clearly had something immediately because even now, if you watch like the second one, the other side of Gentleman, um, it can quickly get pretty tiring with, you know, some of the broad comedy or some of those beats they had to hit for those Hong Kong rom-com movies. Um, but visually and even just in construction, it's pretty amazing how good he is immediately. 
there's some scenes in those movies that are very like you know like they're 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 operating much better than they should for these yeah. kind of um comedies that are he i mean he's also knew how to what's funny is we talk about ringo lamb as this kind of like realist action filmmaker but he was pretty good at the comedy i mean better than john woo was those movies don't look like anyone made them and (laughs) it's true and also again the first one granted he took over for another director but esprit d'amour uh is a better horror comedy than most that try it, I will say. Yeah. And he also around that time did uh was working on Happy Ghost 3, I believe, that Johnny Toe eventually took over and that became his first movie. So we have nothing bad to say about Mr. Toe. We'll we'll probably come back to him one day, but what makes Ringo so special is he just kind of comes out of the gate ready to go. A lot like Choi Hawk. Like they're just Yeah. They're ready. They're filming. Yep. Yeah. Like, and they, they kind of have a similar career trajectory and even work together. So. Except uh, Hawk like starts being very, his movies never hide how fucking furious he is at everyone. <laughs> you know, Lom, I feel like is he's like, I'm going to play, I'll play ball for a couple of these, sneak in some digs here and there, and then let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, because like comparing uh, Hawk's second movie to Lom's second movie is pretty funny. <laughs> they were on totally different wavelengths at that point. But, I, yes. but some, I bet they hung out and got drunk together and fucking like screamed at the top of their lungs about, you know, what was going on in Hong Kong at the time. I'm sure they did. I mean, Ringo doesn't really let that through only really yeah a couple of times and one of those being prison on fire um the other one probably most notably being school on fire yeah i mean it's gonna be hard for me to not walk away claiming school on fire is like his greatest film of all time i go i go i go back and forth but i feel but this but this is where lom is really taking on a role that no one else of these Hong Kong filmmakers who are names at this point, he, no one's kind of going in the direction that he's going. Like they're all very operatic in the case of Wu. They're strange and a little cartoonish in the way of Choi Hawk. Um, Johnny Toe is barely getting together, but when Toe does it, it's very, it's a film version of events. Like yeah. it's a, movies and it's about the the aesthetics of movies where lom you know yeah you could call him a realist but he he kind of uh i think he's a little more influenced by like the um by like that johnny mac film uh long arm of the law yeah yeah like there's a like he's a great action framer he knows how to do all that but he's He's really interested in kind of this more gritty street level view of the kind of stories he tells. And um, and City on Fire is probably his most well-known up into that point. But City on Fire, while it has parts of that, he's still very much that rom-com filmmaker still. Like it's it's very half and half that movie. <laughs> it's kind of awesome to watch. <laughs> It is. And when he and does, it's like, that's why Quentin 
was so drawn to it because he does love jokes so much, especially at the, you know, in the in the earlier part of his career, right? You know, like he really wanted to make sure jokes were written in <laughs> to all of this stuff. And I think that's why City on Fire probably hit so hard for him because there's lots of, you know, there's great hard hitting stuff, great emotionality, but there's also some dumb fucking jokes that are also funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I was saying this time, I feel like my appreciation of uh, his film Touch and Go with Sammo Hung has gone up because to me, that's um, the perfect melding of his action style, his like hard hitting action style and some jokes like there's that there were some joke i don't laugh a lot at chinese comedies i appreciate them more than i do but there were some there were a couple of things in there that i laughed at so well, i have when, when samo is like anytime like obviously he's great well pretty much across the board but he's great in his own movies he's great with jackie but for whatever reason some alchemy happened with him and ringo because samo in that movie is just Oh my God, everything he does fucking kills me. Everything. <laughs> like it's that scene where the, 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 that he's trying to get into that apartment to hide and he has to keep the door. And I was like, this is really well comically timed. I was kind of shocked. But yeah, um, it's like the, the, it's not the, you know, same time necessarily, but it's like if you, uh, when, when I revisited Dragons Forever, and said to John, wow, I remembered the comedy in this working a lot better than it does because there's a similar apartment scene with a lot of door slamming, but that really is not funny. <laughs> very non-funny. That's like a, well, all right, I, we got to avoid dragons forever because we could really start talking about more dragons. We're going we're gonna to stay on stay on task. We're but bringing we, it home. But we can quickly, we can, we can move off dragons forever into a nice place. Let's... <laughs> All right, well, you know what? We'll get to Twin Dragons in a second. But well, Twin Dragons is different. Dragons Forever is what I was talking about. Well, okay. I was trying to find a pivot there. But uh, <clears throat> so Ringo, uh, we talked about his rom-coms. Before he gets to, and we'll do a deep dive on this one day, we promise. But before he gets to City on Fire, he is part of the series Aces Go Places, one of the biggest for whatever reason series in hong kong it's like the the let's just say the jokes are not going to travel to you but it's quite a wild time and oh the physical comedy travels so don't you worry you can even you know what i've never said this before in my life about a movie ever but unless you are uh in i would say either an expert on China and Hong Kong, or you just actually fucking speak Cantonese and or Mandarin, maybe even just turn the subs off on the Aces Go Places movies. You'll be all right. <laughs> That's not the thing that uh, is quite striking about him. What's funny is the first two are just kind of like, you know, they're weird. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever revisit those, but what's really wild are the last three. The third one's directed by Choi Hawk. And has an opening where he suddenly he somehow gets all these Bond villains from previous Bond movies to show up. Such a strange, yeah. bizarre opening, but it's very cartoonish in that way. So it when he's doing this assignment, Choi Hawk, 
you already see Choi Hawk within these tight, confined walls. And what's even more amazing, the fourth one that Ringo Lamb does, no one asked him to pro- – no one was wanting the Aces Go Blazes movies to suddenly be- have, like, brutal violence in them. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, he knew what we needed. Yeah, you're like, that. Just, wow, he just really Ringo Lammed this uh, <laughs> this cookie cutter franchise here. Yep. Uh, and that's when, and that's when you know that our boy is really about to start cooking. Yeah, you get to that part of his career, you're like, someone was itchy to do something else. I think. <laughs> what was going on with they? Like the Aces go. They got Larkar Long to do the the. I guess this one. It's like. That's just wild. So he gets to he gets to City on Fire, the the one that Quentin Tarantino ripped off allegedly. Which watching it again, it's like you almost see less of the the seeds of Reservoir Dogs. You see more of the seeds for what the film's cinematographer Andrew Lau was going to do with Infernal Affairs. Yeah, shit. Yeah, no, no, you're totally right. Damn. Wow. So really what we're saying here is by association, Martin Scorsese ripped off fucking City on Fire and called it The Departed. Wow. Mystery solved. Have to put someone on the pyre to burn. (laughs) Sorry, Marty. Yeah, he's like having a real highlight of his career right now. And we're just kind of walking him (laughs) a stack of wood. He's like, now, what is this? This reminds me of uh, Joan of Arc, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Have you ever seen that film? This is what it's like. And we're just tying him up and we're like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Oh, poor Marty. Yeah, poor Marty. We're, we're sorry to have to to burn you, but sorry, bud. We got to call you out. <laughs> we can't let it. We can't let it go unsaid. Yeah, <laughs> just don't. Whatever some dumb internet person who has never revised their opinions in twenty years tries to tell you that City on Fire is a or you know Reservoir Dogs is a rip off of that. Just kindly, I mean, bro- and I'm not a Reservoir Dogs defendant. Defend no, just, but just watch the movies. That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know, we know all of our listeners are much smarter than us, so it will not be hard for your beautiful brains to go. Oh wow, not at all. And then in case closed, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So, yeah. So he does his. He does the follow up, which is the film we're going to be showing. Ooh, ooh. Prison on Fire, one of the hardest hitting, bone crunching films you'll ever see. I mean, this is the kind of movie where the uh, the special or the uh, stunt work on display looks like it really hurts. Yep. And part of what's so special about our boy here, while all of those things John said are absolutely true, this is also one of the most tender films about um i think it becomes universal um just about friendship but in particular because we don't get a lot in movies about male friendship um in a really interesting way that might actually you know move you to feel quite emotional maybe even a tear or two this movie is has a very enormous heart at its core and that heart also happens to be vibrating with rage (laughs) so but it's an amazing combination I'm really excited for people um, who are going to watch these two that maybe if you haven't dove into a lot of Hong Kong stuff yet, 
I think this is a great one to remind you why it's so unique and so special because that combination is really hard to do. And, you know, there's a reason people don't do it. I don't think it's for a lack of ideas or a lack of stories where that's a possibility. It's because it takes really incredible filmmaking ability to pull that off in a way where you can both want to like climb the walls of the theater and light it on fire because you're so pumped up. And then also you just want to call your best friend and then go hug them as hard as you can from moment to moment. <laughs> An astounding movie that does not get enough credit. I think so beautiful. Fucking Christ revisiting this morning. I, I think people tend to not give it as much of a leg up as the others do because for a Hong Kong action movie of this era, it, it's kind of atypical in that it's not shot on the streets of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is kind of the joy of these Hong Kong action movies usually is like you keep return. It's like the, the idea of Hong Kong just becomes its own presence in these movies. And you just are always waiting for when it goes back on the streets and you see this part, you see this little outdoor mall that they have a shootout chasing. But like this movie is basically all set within prison walls. Yep. And I think it too, I think part of it, that was the, when I revisited this morning, it, it hit me more than ever. Why I think it's still not appreciated enough because usually, I don't know about you, but the way I, you know, when people start telling you about Hong Kong movies and all that, the, you, the way people usually lead, um, whether it's Hong Kong horror or otherwise, or just action, they're like, holy shit, it's fucking insane. Like crazy camera, crazy stunts, crazy violence, crazy, all this shit. And not that there aren't those moments in this movie, but this is a much quieter um, contemplative movie that also has those things. So I think a lot of people probably go into it expecting like fucking whip pans and slow motion the moment they arrive. And instead we get really, really well done character development uh, that takes its time building towards the climax with those things. And that's why that climax hit so hard and why you're both cheering in in tears because the time has been spent, you know, but I think people probably expect it to be like more fucking wacky. <laughs> you know, I think that hits on exactly what it is like, because again, when it came, when these movies were kind of surfacing in the nineties, like <laughs> I know people just preferred the balletic, bullet operas of uh of john woo and the like the craziness of a Choi hawk so that like when they came to ringo lamb it just kind of seemed like you know like he just kind of seemed like he was lacking something which is kind of a little strange prejudice on behalf of western audiences that we just expect them to be this crow crazy and i mean ringo lamb is closer to more of the filmmakers who are still not getting enough do over there, like Anne Hui, um, Patrick Tam, uh, uh, Fr- uh, Fruit Chan, like these people who like have a a more realist style that um, isn't, and not saying one's better, or one's worse, but people tend to look at the more fantastical side of Hong Kong filmmaking, where there's all these other just utter geniuses operating um yeah on a on a thing that doesn't uh, uh, exercise and use every cinematic move in the playbook yep. and 
um, which is weird because you think that's like it does. Which is it's what it's what again struck me so hard revisiting this morning. I was like, it's not the absence of that stuff; it's the way it's delivered, and it's delivered in a very, uh, very intentional and ordered way, used to build chaos. Which again is masterful (laughs) to be able to do that. Like a lot of the boxes you want ticked still get ticked; they just don't come, you know, instantly. Like western audiences come to expect of hong kong stuff but if you just sit down to watch a a great fucking movie and try to get rid of the expectations of what you think it's going to be then this movie will really reward you it's so it's so lovely it's really so touching and and they said the tension is what really defines these movies especially uh school on fire and prison on fire in that they are so angry in that these characters just take heaps and heaps of bullshit from the system they're stuck in, whether that's a prison for prison on fire or for rollerball, which we'll get to is the, um, is, uh, the celebrity, um, sports arena that essentially kind of creates its own new, uh, Mm, level of incarceration with a bit of an illusion to help them stay comfortable within that. But with prison on fire, these things just get mounted on you one indignity after the other. It is the indignities of every day that we all have to suffer through. And in the case of me, maybe you you're vocal about it, or in the case of other people, you suck it up and you most people, and you just go throughout the day kind of like, can't they suffered that i mean this movie just like this is a movie that tries to get you to explode yeah and it and again tries with all the character development the time that it takes it really wants you to get into the skulls and hearts of these uh men in this prison and what they're experiencing um, and the, the things that it gives you, though, too, I won't spoil the exact scene, of course, because it's going to be so nice for people to experience it together at the theater, but not just the, you know, the building to violence and all that stuff. There's also a building towards a scene that is a, a brief moment of reprieve um, for these people. And I think what is so amazing about how Lam pulls that scene in particular off is he highlights without having to say it out loud without having to put it into dialogue how important moments and days and ideas of tradition are when time doesn't exist anymore because you are literally locked away from the world and you don't exist you know you essentially don't exist so when you get a moment to feel like a quote-unquote real fucking person again it is embraced so incredibly and oh my god it's gorgeous just really gorgeous and the fact that we get that scene along with the other things that we build towards and the violence that we build towards and all of that is why this dude's such a fucking master you know oh absolutely has there that ever- shit wouldn't hit like that shit would not hit even the ending would be awesome no matter what but it wouldn't make me again alternate between crying and cheering if we hadn't had those moments before where we truly understand why these people are acting like this Yeah, I mean, it's a lot for a movie to literally be able to force you off your seat to jump into the air when things happen. That doesn't happen a lot with me, but I can safely say Prison on Fire provoked that from me the very first time. 
I was punching the the coffee table. <laughs> um, I don't know if movies aren't supposed to incite that. I I, I don't know what you're supposed to do, but I yeah. think too, I only want to. I know we usually avoid, but I want to do one nerdy thing and highlight one fact just to really get people into the mood for this movie too, is that because, you know, Hong Kong and Ringo Lam loved to do this any chance he got, but this movie is not only shot in a real prison, but it was an active open prison. (laughs) They were shooting this movie in a, a currently running prison. So like, just, you know, wrap your fucking head around that while you do this, you know, and, uh, he was angry. Angry filmmaker to, yeah. to to shoot it in that system with what was also going. Also, someone who likes anger, because only someone who loves like, and I think this is a healthy way to do it personally, where you're like, I'm furious, I have to do something, and so you know, create some art to get it out. But only a true sadist is like, you know what, I should do. See if I can shoot this in one of these evil fucking open right now prisons. See if maybe I'll have to kill myself a warden. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. You know, because he's young, too, at this point. Like, he's this relatively young, angry dude who just came off these weird comedy movies that, like you said, got really violent. (laughs) Uh, It's just pretty, it's pretty fucking cool that he was like, I'm going to torture myself to make sure this comes out right. You know, like, we have to do, we have to do this right. Um, And you can tell, you can tell him and uh, Chow Yun-Fat worked so hard on that. Um, you know, and it makes sense because they were buddies. They went to acting school together way back when. Um, and that's why, even though personally I'll defend Chow Yun-Fat, even in his not great roles. Um, but this, if you've only seen him once he got stateside, you're going to be floored by the performance here. Cause this is a different, this is a different guy altogether from what happened when he came to the States. Yeah. I mean, he's stayed a beautiful human being who wants to give all of his money away to the, to the people who need it so uh you know not very uh not very modern of you i wonder what his current home thinks of him yeah i i mean yeah i mean ringo really knew how to stoke anxieties about the impending handover in china coming up and that's when china basically in China for a long time, I think it was like 1984 when they signed the decree to put it in motion where China was basically under a sort of laissez-faire rule from Great Britain, but or Hong Kong, that is. And Hong Kong then was being given back to the mainland at that time, which we're still kind of dealing with what that means. I don't think. Oh, yeah. Not anything good, but uh, it's also not- just a, it's a good moment, I think, to remind people <laughs> to get everyone fired up and ready for this screening. Also, is just how awful human beings are, because that's even a sentence we can say. We're like, oh, this country decided to give this place back to another country with no input from the people who live there. <laughs> yeah, you guys can have it back. It's cool. We're good. We had our time. You guys can have it now. Have fun. We know you missed it. <laughs> it's crazy. We're, we'll, crazy. We'll go into a deep thing about Chinese uh, Hong Kong cinema and uh, the handover one day, but uh, not today because we got too much to get to. But Will's right. I mean, it's this is a 
hotbed time and Ringo's tapping into it with the incarceration uh, system and rate going on right now. And then the probably the most is school on fire, where he literally attacks the school systems, the triads hold on the communities at that time, the police. I mean, he goes after everybody in school on fire. It's it's awesome. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And is there any more hated actor in Hong Kong than David Chung? What a great actor, but boy, did oh, you, he's amazing. What does Ringo in three movies just make you hate this man? <laughs> he's the shitty, vicious police officer in a city on fire. Then he's the brutal ass warden in prison on fire. And then he's the uh, piece of shit triad <laughs> gang. Leader. I mean, it's, it's amazing that guy didn't get like attacked in the street because his, his level yeah. Atism and menace and just outright assholeness is like he's the greatest at it. <laughs> he really is. He's oh, he's so good. He's so fucking good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, just, I don't know. I'm just I'm so excited to feel how people react to this movie. And it's and it's Ringo at a time where he is he's not like a, one of those like shaky handheld guys, but he's definitely like hands held in the streets kind of um very influenced by like a I, i'm not going to use the word gritty but like a 70s aesthetic an american 70s aesthetic so he I, likes he like he likes a he likes a grain heavy film stock yes and he likes kind of a a a, a more organic way of shooting because like it's not going to be long before he kind of becomes a little more professional or he's we'll just say he starts using dollies a lot more but i mean we're really this is kind of like yeah, yeah this and school on fire are like uh really great moments of a filmmaker at, at the height of his power and not to say that he gets bad i mean a lot of people love to say he gets bad he becomes a different filmmaker and yeah, not bad. It's just different. He, I mean, maybe his best movie is uh, one. Maybe we'll show one day with Chow Yun Fat, Full Contact, which definitely goes towards more of a campy B movie, um, use all the cinematic tricks kind of thing. But it just shows that he can do both styles at a shiny, alarmingly perfect um, level. So. Yeah, and that kind of starts like after uh, after uh, school on fire. He does wild search, or not? Yeah, is it wild? Yeah, wild search. Which it's wild search, and then prison on fire too. Is that the order? I think that's later. It's it's definitely. I think it's definitely wild search because wild search partially feels like a Ringo Lamb action movie, and then it's just intercut with some of the worst child acting of <laughs> yeah. all kind of awesome yeah it's wild search then undeclared war then touch and go then prison on fire too so with undeclared war too his movie with like olivia hussey which is kind <laughs> of cia love fest and then but then it's not i mean well, we'll get I, don't, I think it isn't at all and then it very uh suspiciously 
is in a really weird over the top way. And then when it lands, you're kind of like, you know, I'm not sure how you feel about this. But Indian is always what makes me feel unsure. Yeah, but I kind of—I mean, I kind of love that. And who knows? I—I I don't. I don't know enough about the backstory of that one. If that was like, you know, uh, foisted upon him, that it had to be less directly angry than these earlier ones, or I don't know. Maybe he was just in a mood to like not show his cards. <laughs> it could. Be. I mean, he does try to. I feel like audition a little bit for Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, yeah. we, Especially we, at that point. Yeah. And like I said, we had mentioned he was cooking so hard. And then we mentioned a movie called Twin Dragons. Now, this is the movie where Jackie Chan plays himself. Well, he plays two of the same person. It's a Jackie Chan twin movie. And it's one of those movies where you think like, oh, hell yeah. You're telling me I got a Choi Hawk and Ringo Lamb movie? Well, I hate to break it to you. It's kind of like the Dead and Dylan came together and you're like, wow. This is gonna rock, and then it's like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that. Not. <laughs> it's it's. It, it, <laughs> I'm just dying too because, as you know, I'm one of the. I'm one of those people that still to this day, I, I, I respect it and I love it, and almost every single person close to me in my life has an enormous affinity and respect for Grateful Dead, but I still cannot understand it i just don't get it so i just love that that's the example you used because i was like nah, i remember that i knew it was gonna be fucking dick <laughs> all right we'll we'll use something you know we'll go uh like when lil Dubert and future do an album together and you're like this has got to be awesome and then it's like this is really boring <laughs> there we go there we go so it's kind of like that except i love twin dragons but it is not one i would say or- to yeah, that's a movie that I would I say the thing that John probably there's lots that you hate that I say, but I think maybe one of the things you hate that I say the most is when I say this. It's a fucking awesome movie, but it's not necessarily that good. It's a fun time. Yeah. Twin Dragons is all of that. <laughs> this is the one time I'm going to 100 percent agree. <laughs> it's uh, fun. I bet the people who, here's another will. The people who made it just look like they're hanging out and having fun. <laughs> that is true about Twin, Twin Dragons. Also apt. You've saved it for Twin Dragons. You would have knocked it out of the park. But yes, uh, this is one of the movies that was made by the Directors Guild, essentially, in China at the time. So it was kind of an assignment. And Ringo doesn't really... I, I mean, he handles the action sequences, supposedly. But it's kind of like one of those things where like you just mix well i was gonna say two but three great filmmakers together and the 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 mix kind of comes out a little amorphous because you have ringo Choi, and jackie all on the set can you talk about too many cooks in the fucking kitchen well but it works when uh jackie and samo and um oh i just forgot his fucking name shit the other dude in dragons forever what's his goddamn name oh myself I who also trained with uh, when when Bao, that guy, the guy yeah. who was part of the uh, the Beijing Opera torture. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They did the Peking torture together. The yeah. other one, but that yeah. shit. Even though you know, 
Dragons Forever isn't great either, but those three, when they came together, sometimes it worked. Right. You know, but I agree with you here. And especially, you also add Maggie Chung to the mix, our queen. We love her. 911 uh, Truth or Maggie Chung. I would kill, like, obviously, truly, we would both shit in our pants to get to talk to her about her career, which I'd love to do. But you know what I would love more? If she came on to just talk 911. My God. Yeah, I would be more than shitty. <laughs> I, that would be uh <laughs> um yeah no we love maggie and yeah i mean ringo lamb's career is not without even though some things may not hit the way prison on fire or school on fire did like his career stays interesting he, i mean you know, he's one of these directors to cap it off with Hollywood and Ringo. The second he did his uh, incredibly misguided big budget movie, The Adventurers, which I would say half is interesting. And it's a, quite the audition to be in a Hollywood filmmaker, I must say. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But he goes and he, like all these motherfuckers, makes a movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme called Max Risk. And it's fucking awesome. (laughs) It's fun. Uh, Ringo definitely, if you thought he was disappearing from his own cinema, I mean, he's, there's some scenes that you can say, wow, that feels like a Ringo scene. And I mean, purportedly on set, Ringo, a lot of the time, just kind of sat in the director's chair and Jean-Claude Van Damme yelled cut most of the time so i don't know if uh ringo is too happy with uh his new move to the mainland or no, not oh. the main but the, the you know the u.s and uh i think like that immediately sends him back and he does one of his greatest films full alert yep and then he he continues after that to make you know films here and there and uh goes from some reason does like three or four more movies no at two right two more movies with jean-claude van damme yeah replicant because yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. jean-claude van damme never is not fighting himself in these movies with fucking maximum risk replicant time cop I, my favorite though his of his movies with with mr van damme in hell yes isn't on fire three yeah so good that movie's cool we got to show that movie i would love to show in hell that's <laughs> that and wild city i think are his best of his like late career i think i agree with that sky on fire his last is a i hate to say it's kind of a disappointment maybe i need to rewatch it again but i i was definitely let down when i saw it last but me um, too but maybe we'll like them less. Sometimes that happens as we age and life hurts more. You can enjoy things that sometimes maybe we were just too serious about it. <laughs> you never know. I mean, Ringo died not long after the movie. So it was kind of like one of those things where it's like maybe you're wishing too much into it than just appreciating it for what it was. But either way, Ringo does have a great career that continues on. But like most of Hong Kong, they find their way to Hollywood. Choi Hawk did this with uh, with uh, Van Tam two times as well. Uh, we 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 know and love Double Team, but 
boy, do we love knockoff. And this is, we can't talk about knockoff today, but we can't, obviously we uh, like this stuff a little bit, which is why we're going to do deep dive episodes one of these days. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And because the only person who really like, in my opinion, got completely ruined eventually by their move to the United States was a greatest, you know, enemy number one of Hong Kong, Jackie Chan. Yeah. I mean, he really, uh, things changed for him very quickly and I don't think he ever really recovered. And, um, I don't think he wanted to. No, I don't think he wanted to, but you did start to see like Kirk Wong did the big hit. We've got, um, well, speaking of, uh, Ringo lamb, one of his greatest films, burning paradise, one of the darkest wuxia films ever made masterpiece of a movie. The other super dark movie of that ilk, the bride with white hair, Ronnie, you yeah, way to Hollywood does the ended up making bread of Chucky. Bride of Chucky and kind of caps off the Hollywood Hong Kong run with shockingly Freddie versus Jason, which has a shocking amount of Hong Kong isms in it. It does. Well, honestly, I I had it (laughs) when I last I showed that movie, someone was like, wow, the uh, uncouth jokes. And I was like, that's actually a very Hong Kong thing. And the way those jokes are written, also both of them, there is a a race-related one and a sexuality-related one. And the way both of them are written and delivered just as if they're, like, cutesy, just couldn't be more Hong Kong. It's awesome. (laughs) Then it would have definitely been Hong Kong. (laughs) It's true. That was the only thing missing. They love AIDS jokes. Well, he just, you know, I won't even say it because I'm being good, but the fact that he got a member of Destiny's Child to call Freddy uh, a certain word for gay is pretty, uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's a special thing for us, those of us that grew up in the early aughts. Yeah, it's f- <laughs> <laughs> uh Also, your internet beeped it. That was weird. Truly, I just heard fat. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm glad the computer did it. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddie delivers a nice little uh, racist joke towards her. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, I guess what my point is, is like Hollywood <laughs> has never really not, especially at that time, uh, been touched by Hong Kong and its filmmakers. I mean, the transporter, you got Corey Yoon going just doing that whole thing. Corey Yoon ended up just doing stunts kind of for action movies just the transporter movies i know like uh yeah romeo must die lethal weapon four kiss of the dragon the expendables um these are all these are of course the the uh wachowskis who are very honest they're some of the only filmmakers who uh even when just the first matrix was coming out were very honest about the influence of hong kong films and filmmakers which is great because that for I imagine for you too, John, but in 99, that's where I first started to really hear about um, Hong Kong stuff was because the conversation around the Matrix and it got me excited because I kept seeing these fucking names and all these movies, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, that was a time of instead of I mean, we should, instead of lambasting Tarantino, we should probably thank him because without doing that rolling. Oh, absolutely. Without doing the rolling thunder pictures, a lot of these movies were not going to see the light of day for a while 
and would have taken longer. That's for sure. Definitely would have taken longer. Now, unfortunately, he was partnered with Miramax and Mr. Weinstein. So those things just got screwed by them. But hey, live and learn, right? Yep. And <laughs> hey, let's hope let's hope right now that Harvey's, even though it's obviously a white collar situation, let's hope somehow Harvey ends up in the exact prison that we see in prison on fire. Yep. yep. Yep, I would love to think that's happening. Unfortunately, he's probably getting his like forty fifth bout, you know, bout of gout right now because he's <laughs> in one of those good fellas style prisons. Can't stop munching the old hot dogs from dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on that note, we're uh, going to talk about the second film in our double feature, and that is. John McTiernan's Rollerball. Before we dive in too much, John, you want to let people know where if they really want to hear deep dive and they want to get a break from all the isms of the things that I say, we did have an older episode where I was locked out of the recording studio and uh, John and our buddy Corey Pop. Um, Good way to say on. it. Pop. <laughs> Pop. Corey popped on by and uh, him and John really went down uh, the rabbit hole of what happened to Mr. McTiernan and why he, uh, I guess if you want to look at it this way and linearly, why Rollerball sent him to prison. Yeah. You can listen to our uh, episode wired and tired. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty amazing. Yeah, we, uh, Corey and I, Corey's my other um, hetero life mate, uh, work collaborator. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, (laughs) I think calling me heterosexual would be a disservice to the English language, but I appreciate it. I'm tough. To me, you know, as many times I I actually batted you away and said, Will, I'm going to. Black, I'm going to Jack Palance you with that snake later if you <laughs> cut it out. Uh, yeah, some of our heads will get that joke. <laughs> One like, I've seen that movie. I know what he's saying. So That's every fucking joke we make. It's always, there's one person who was like, I got that. I really appreciated it. Because yeah. I've never heard any other person care to make a joke so niche. <laughs> yeah, I never hear enough people be like, I like your show. I just don't know what you guys are talking about most of the time. It's like, well, we, you know, we, we're, we're like, yeah, we're like playing the, uh, we're like playing the video game on difficulty hard. Like we're, we're podcasting on the difficulty mode being all. (laughs) But then if you like just look at it, like if you pull back, if there was like a visual representation of our show, it's like a speak and spell. So it really shouldn't, it doesn't need to be on level hard because there's just four buttons, but some. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, that's why we are here to loudly and proudly defend what is still going on today. Uh, which is what we think an unfair lambasting of John McTiernan's rollerball. 
So we're yeah. going to give you all a chance to see it on a gorgeous 35 millimeter print. Because yet again, you hear us say this all the time. No one else shows a lot of the movies we decide to show. Um, so we get good prints. <laughs> this is one of the best looking ones too. And let me just say, if you're one of these uh, golden raspberry fans or love the stinkers awards or whatever, hold on. That's the sound of me opening the window. And you you just see yourself right on out there. Because, <laughs> because this is, I mean, maybe one day we'll do a deep dive into golden raspberries. But if there's ever been a uh, a rating system more stupid than, say, the, like Rotten Tomatoes or something, it's it's the goal. It's the raspberries. What a, they've gotten so much wrong over the years. I mean, they truly look like fucking idiots considering like they've given most of Paul Verhoeven's movies, these awards, they've, they, they really hated uh rollerball. And like Will said to this day, all you denizens of letterbox still don't want to give this fucking movie, <laughs> but we're here, we're here to tell you that this is one. I personally, I think this is one of the better action movies of the two thousands. And I will challenge anybody to give me, two more movies that are better than it. I agree with you. Um, I think this movie is just wholly misunderstood. And I think it's perfect to show with and surrounding a conversation of Hong Kong things because Hong Kong movies also didn't care to westernize um, the delivery of things. And I think there are more than a couple similarities with Rollerball and people misunderstanding, um, you know, how things were actually meant to be delivered. Yeah. And I think it works on two levels. Listen to our show wired and tired. If you want the full thing on this, because we're going to not go through all of that today, but <laughs> rollerball was definitely subjected to some pretty serious censorship from Hollywood at the time. And if some things about this movie feel a little off to you, it's because you're seeing some really shitty post-production uh, chicanery going on where the movie was supposed to be rated R. It feels like an R-rated movie. And I guess because POD's party, we're going to rock the party all night long, was climbing the TRL charts, they said, no, we got we to gotta make this for middle schoolers which is how I saw it. And, <laughs> you know, they decided to basically CGI redo the blood spurts and color them to look like sweat. Yep. Uh, uh, took out, took out uh nudity by just adding like black <laughs> to half of the screen. Really shitty black to like, yeah, it also, it also doesn't work. Like you can still see that, you know, um, Rebecca Romaine and lots of other people are not wearing clothes. You can still see it's just it kind of especially at the age when this came out that we were, it just makes you look harder, really. Um which I did. Know. I mean, I yeah. movie <laughs> when it came out. I also first uh necking and and then some with a with a lady during that so this movie really holds a special place in my heart it's the only reason i actually like it because <laughs> i missed it the first time and i was like oh, i kind of wanted to see this movie 
um, I mean, yeah, Rebecca Roman. The, the funny thing is, like, no one foresaw that like image rate quality was gonna like be able to get heightened. So <laughs> I can't yeah, wait. Like, if you didn't see the print of it, then you won't be able to see this shit on VHS and DVD. So it'll be fine. Um, but thankfully, we're getting closer. And yeah, give me that. Give me that 4K. Of this I'll buy that shit. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, so this movie is also a remake. This is a remake of a Norman Jewison film from the 70s. This is part two of McTiernan redoes Norman Jewison because yep. years before that he did uh, the Thomas Crown Affair with yep. Pierce and Rene Russo, which I like more than the original. Yeah, it's funny because I, I, w- I would even call myself casual for sure, but I would say I'm a Norman Jewison fan. Uh, like you know, it. I like his stuff, but it is funny that John McTiernan was like, I don't know, buddy. I see two of these. I see something better for both. Let me let me do it. And granted, we'll never know the full truth with Rollerball. That is just admittedly the case. Because, um, you know, as legend has it, the work print was over two hours showed it to people they got upset um famously in my opinion a and and at that at that point who had been bought out by the industry a piece of shit who thankfully disappeared called harry knowles from ain't it cool news you know our favorite journalist um he was flown out by mctiernan to watch the movie and i'll tell you what i said we know some of those ain't it cool news guys (laughs) i want to one person, you know, so he doesn't listen to this anyway. He does. Well, yep. I'm not bad. I'm just saying we could get the scoop. <laughs> anyway, so Harry Knowles watches it, um, does famously the first review about it because Harry also, because he was so cool, didn't, uh, you know, follow press embargoes, but he did actually. He just got bought by the industry to then break them and pretend he was being a punk. Uh, but anyway, so he did a scathing review saying like he read the original screenplay for the remake and it was brilliant and incredible. And then this movie is the worst thing he's at. One of the worst things he's ever seen. Just abysmal, all that. So that started the the train. Um, and I, in my opinion, helped lead to the things you and <laughs> Corey get into on the episode and even just the state of mind that McTiernan was in where he did or didn't do whatever he did or didn't do and how decisions were made, I think were in large part started by Harry Knowles deciding to ruin his fucking movie before anyone had a chance to see it. Given what we know about ain't it cool news and about how maybe some of their writers were bought off by studios, given that this movie was not in any way supported by the studio. I mean, that they, try to derail this movie. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be hard for me to assume that maybe someone there paid them to, to write a really scathing review that really doesn't. Yeah. And you reread the review and it's like, this doesn't, I don't know what movie you watched pal, but. Well, even if it's an overlong work print, it still doesn't. It also, if you go back through, I'll be quick. I promise. Cause we shouldn't spend time on this, but <laughs> If you read all of like the quote unquote reviews, most of the ones that Harry wrote, they're usually the same. 
The yeah. positive ones were the same and the negative ones were the same. And unfortunately, he did he was huge. He was very famous. Like he he had a he had a big following and he was one of the only people uh at the time who at least when they when they started were like, Yeah, we don't give a shit about press stuff. And that was true at the beginning, but he very quickly got bought um and would do shit because he could do things like take plane rides to private screenings of Jeremy Tyrion's latest movie. Um, you know, or on the flip side, when he would just get paid to say something amazing for one of his button amathon things. Um, but yeah, this one, this one just reeks of uh, him being told what to say. He said, fuck yeah, I'll do it, you know. And I think that's what I, I blame, I blame Harry Knowles for Rollerball always. Oh, I'm sure you and along with a lot of uh, women at the Alamo Draft House would love to blame Harry Knowles for a lot of things. Oh, but I'm glad he's gone. Yeah, he's a let's just say he was a really large fixture. You had to do it, didn't you? He's a big fixture. <laughs> One of the ugliest looking dudes, too, of all time. He's a, he a he's an ugly dude inside and out, I would say. With, inside and out. I'm trying to about anything at large, uh, no fuck. What I'm saying is we don't like him <laughs> at all. Not a fan. Everything he stands for sucks. So, yes, um, Will is correct. He is probably behind the reason for why this um, didn't do so well. I mean. Why the ending was changed. It's a very different ending originally. I won't even say the ending you get in case you people haven't seen it. But the original ending uh, was actually far uh I think less biting, which is funny that it turned this way. But uh, originally, um, Jonathan and Rebecca Romaine uh, go back to America and take Rollerball with them, essentially. Mm -hmm. Just starts again, which, you know, could be a decent point, I guess. But I'm glad it's not how it ends. I actually think it's better how it ends this way. Very hilarious final line. And the greatest last look of a movie. Oh, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Tiernan, you know, he's a filmmaker who like, didn't really like get that, like people turned on him pretty quickly. So like this guy comes out of the gate with Predator, which huge movie that everyone still talks about to this day. Not one of his better movies. I got to admit, Predator is not held up, right. but Predator's fun. Um, but why are you skipping nomads? Oh, just you know, I'm everything. Yeah, I prefer nomads to. <laughs> I was gonna say nomads is good. You got to go from credit. His first time with Pierce Brosnan too, so I guess that's yeah, uh, it's important. All right, all right, good point. I, it's I, not I, great. Don't get me wrong; it's not a great movie at all, but it's a good time, decent first movie. It's as good as Predator, and then yeah. you have you have a little film. Oh, fuck. What's the name of it? The Yard. Is that the German title of it? <laughs> yeah. Der Herd? Yeah, Der Herd with Der Herd. Uh, Willis. Everyone forever will be excited at every office party to say, did you know that movie is actually a Christmas movie and it's got a toe fetish? So if you haven't done that yet, you can really get laid at work. <laughs> you know what? Bring it back to fucking Ringo Lamb. You know it's a Christmas movie? City on Fire. You know what also is a Christmas movie? Wild Search. You know what also is a Christmas movie? Undeclared War. 
I mean, and Prison on Fire is close. Is there Christmas stuff in that? New Year's. Oh, that's right. We'll see. There you go. Anything to be a stupid Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, Die Hard's Die Hard's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fine. No, it's great. Um, Hunt for Red October, which was a huge hit. Um, then kind of around the time of Medicine Man, I feel like people just didn't really pay attention. Like Medicine Man just kind of died on the vine, so to speak. Yeah, which I think I do get. I do get with that one. The next one is where everyone just, for whatever reason, decided to turn on him. Because as this, history has shown, uh, everyone was really wrong. <laughs> really? I mean, this is kind of predates Rollerball for just how like horribly dumb uh people had to be to kind of miss what I think is one of the greater films of, of this ilk of the nineties. That's last action hero. And I think kind of has a little fun with the whole uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme needing to always have his double in there. No, it's fun. It's a very smart movie. It's um, I'm sorry, but if you want to talk about these kind of like self-aware meta movies or whatever and you don't think last action hero is good is as good as scream i don't i don't understand yep it just, I, I mean it just is it's <laughs> you know like well sorry. and and you know these things just get kind of like i'm not exactly sure what about rollerball other than that that dumb review put people off so hard maybe that it was a remake of like a pseudo intellectual film but i mean i think a big part of it too and a part of the plant again with harry knowles is to mention this alleged screenplay that allegedly john mctiernan said no it's too political it has too much to say i just want to give people action which i also don't believe uh so i think it's that too because they planted the seed in people's minds that there was this mythical different movie and mctiernan came to ruin it Right, because before your movie is even fucking finished, everyone's already like, "Oh, well, he just wanted to give us some stupid fucking new metal shit," you know. But they didn't even watch it. So by the time it's actually in theaters, it's already too late. Because everyone's like, "Yeah, I knew it was gonna be stupid," so I saw a stupid movie. Yeah, he was the perfect whipping boy, and then he got embroiled in his own legal troubles, which you can listen to our episode "Wired and Tired" on. They set our man up, and guess who's free finally. Yeah, he's free now. I I wish we could get in touch with him, but yeah, he's out. We got to really celebrate the fact that he is no longer in jail and rollerball on fire as a tribute to him. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it when we decided this is what we were going to do, but it's kind of funny. You just beat me to my joke, but we'll... We will, you know what? Will Will's gonna be in House on Fire very soon. You can just take it out and then say it. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, that is the other thing, and we'll mention it on stage. That is kind of like the melding of this is that I bet McTiernan could really connect with Prison on Fire. Yeah, maybe he'll just show up. Maybe maybe he is gonna show up. Yep. I don't know. I mean, Rollerball, it has its reasons. Last Action Hero was kind of the result of what are you going to do when you just made Terminator 2? Like, almost anything you're going to do after Terminator 2 is going to pale in 
laughs and especially a movie that is definitely having a go at the action genre the action genre that people don't like that i don't think people took to that kindly either because i think mctiernan's probably a, a bit of a prick in a way that i love though you know right yeah. well, and i'm sure when he saw the shane black script he's like this is yeah this would be fun like i get to play around with the genre that i've helped popularize in the states let's let's do it like this will be a i mean it's a, it is kind of a too intelligent movie for its own good even though it like it doesn't come across that way especially if you just probably remember it as a kid but you know mctiernan was on some real shit with that one and continued with die hard with a vengeance which i i think is maybe better than first die hard i am with you and i'm excited that you feel that way i love die hard with a vengeance um i like the thomas crown affair but awesome but another big thing when 13th warrior came out there's an issue people just tried to take the movie away from him yeah and you know i michael crichton you can blame for that one uh michael crichton felt that the movie needed two climaxes <laughs> one was not going to do it no it's good when you let a guy who's a kind of a a master of a different form think that he can best another art form yeah also sorry to be harsh but i don't know if i'd call him a master when it comes to endings okay in his form so maybe don't let the guy who can't end his books which are almost always at least pretty good uh maybe don't let him decide how the movie version should end <laughs> at a michael crichton book i don't know why i called him a master i'm just saying he's i was wondering i was like that's weird but okay i didn't expect you to be like a crichton head <laughs> what you say popular writer sure who had a lot of success with his uh books becoming movies yeah. i mean he was probably riding high off of jurassic park no, he was riding high off Congo, and he was like, yes. <laughs> no, that's a, there's a movie I can get behind. Oh, Congo. Oh, boy. I, love that. I fucking love that piece of shit. It's crazy that that movie had a Burger King, like, ad rollout. It's crazy they released that movie. Uh, yeah. I again recently, and I'm like, this is nuts that people were like, yes, we're going to go ahead and put this out. Of all the things that get shelved, and all the things that like toil away, you know, for years because someone's like, we could fix this. Who the fuck watched the cut of Congo that we ended up seeing and was like, it's ready. Let's do it. Call up Burger King. <laughs> this is probably happening at the time where they're trying to get Spielberg to bring Crichton to write a sequel to Jurassic Park. They're like, please um, do it. just give us something. And they're like, we got to option something. We're sick, coke addicted motherfuckers. Like, what's this one? Congo? Sure. Put it into production. I mean, woo, the movie that makes Mighty Joe Young look like a European art house film. Congo. <laughs> you know what? Fuck. Maybe, maybe we're going to revisit Congo tonight. You should. You'll have a great time. Blaze, my dude. Just truly like get your bong out. That's a bong movie. <laughs> <laughs> and not bong like jay says bong like a literal bong yeah i will uh well yeah i was gonna put uh rosemary through uh through the resident evil movies so um but those are a lovely time at the entertainment cinema 
Okay. Well, you know what? We'll we're gonna continue this conversation. We're gonna get off the the line here. It's been great. Actually, <laughs> eyes and look episode out on time. Okay, wait. Well, yeah, let's close let's close this fucker out. Here's all I wanted to actually say to people. Um, because clearly we care about this movie a lot. I think it's still really hard. And if you look at Letterboxd, it's evidenced. It still looks the same. Granted, it's a lot more because, you know, people can just post on there, but it looks the same as when the reviews came out. It's still, but it's also still a lot of the same arguments just filtered through a now time, you know, where almost the only time you get a a positive review is someone being like, man, I just fucking live for new metal of Mountain Dew, so what am I going to do? Great movie. You know, like, that's what you see, or you see the same shit that Harry Knowles put in our brains way back then. Um, And so I think it's just, we just want people to do their goddamn best to just, if it's possible, clean slate this motherfucker. Um, And the one thing that I will acknowledge, but I think is a strength of the movie, I have no idea if this is how it always was, but rewatching it this afternoon before we recorded much like Last Action Hero, actually, um, and some of his other movies, I think this movie is largely, it, it doesn't have characters as far as, like, you know, people to get to know or spend time with. The movie itself is one big character, and that's what we're doing. You know, like, he's using, it's in my opinion, like, it's, these things are fully just vehicles for him to be really mad about how the world is and about how the film industry is and to fucking go off about it. And I don't think the goal was to get you invested in these people necessarily. I think the goal is to do what was happening at the time, which is, you know, everything turned up to 11, like ADHD fueled ad world, all of that stuff to do that. But, you know, emblazon it with something really strong and loud and like a really, really great message that he's not shy about. Um, and I think if you watch it like that, to me, it really sings, you know? I mean, insofar as like, he's in maybe not invested in deep psychological dimensions of these characters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing. It's just, play- yeah. He's interested in the character's position with yes. the world and the mounting tension that comes from realizing that, this um media fueled uh money choked world is kind of its own prison and in doing so he has to like chow yun fad and prison on fire essentially have to go against the system that put him there and it is one of those kind of shocking endings along with like i mean it's just like movies like that and like enemy of the state you know you think about those movies now and what we know about the world and our media and government. And it's just like those movies shine a little bit brighter now. So yep. and rollerball for all you harmony, Corinne aggro drift heads out there. Sorry, John McTiernan did infrared. Well, it's not, it's not infrared. Exactly. It's, it's close enough, but it's, he did do. And again, I'm uh it's uh, what's it called the, uh, it's just night vision. <laughs> night vision. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's night vision. But also, there's one. Okay. One last thing just to convince you that you should try to undo everything you think about this movie ahead of the screening or if you watch it at home. I think that's also bullshit. The story about why that scene is that way. I think 
Yeah. Maybe some things happened. Maybe they did need to do actual reshoots and things got muddy with how they shot it. That's possible, but I don't think so because it makes, I think, perfect sense if you give this film a chance to be as smart as it is. It makes perfect sense that that entire sequence is filmed and presented in that weird green and black flat way. I think it's amazing. I think it's the one of the most uh, spellbinding parts of the movie. And, and how it how, how it comes, it's so jarring how it starts and then how it ends. And it really also is the transitional moment to let you know you're about to watch a fucking like wallop of a movie for the end. Because <laughs> shit gets shit really gets real heavy. Takes a Hong Kong level style. Yeah. So on that note, we really urge you to bring all your loved ones. To prison on fire, rollerball. This is very much going to be the most explosive highs and lows we've ever done, and probably will ever do. We'll have some good ones, but boy, does this one ring special to us. And I think as a movie-going experience, you're going to be pretty pleased that you came to this one. So, yep. and again, just what what we've always tried to do. We just want to open up the possibility for people to think about things maybe in a little bit of a different way. That's it. Yeah. Just give it a shot. See what happens. Also, look, sorry. <laughs> if you watch Prison on Fire and then watch Rollerball immediately after and you do not see the uh, the the threads and the quality of the second one, I don't know. I don't know what to say. That's what I got to say. I know this is an audio podcast, but... I'm being real punk rock. I'm being like Danny Boyle sex pistols for Disney punk rock right now. <laughs> yep. On that note, we'll see y'all uh, in a couple days and uh, we'll see you again here soon for some more Casey Franco. Catch you next time. I'm <laughs> sorry.